eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease and a whole lot of love, you transform 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. The content of Dark Arenas includes topics and subject matter that may not be suitable for all audiences. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individuals participating in the podcast and do not represent those of AudioChuck or its employees. Information discussed by the host and interviewees includes content related to crimes against children, abuse, acts of terrorism, and violence. Listener discretion is advised. Children, they are innocent and the most vulnerable among us. They should be kept close and cared for and watched over. They're not able to see for themselves the darkness that looms in the real world. Darkness in the forms of sexual predators, abductors, and murderers. These kinds of people are like a dark fog that can surround children in the blink of an eye. And when that fog lifts, they've vanished with it. Sometimes missing kids leave an empty swing set, a vacant school bus stop, or a single piece of clothing in their wake. And it's those clues that cause a deep sense of disturbance to envelop entire communities, freezing the very fabric of time for the families these children belong to. Search parties, paper flyers, and volunteer groups trudging over leaves and land often help to find more clues. But sometimes it takes living in darkness to understand darkness, how to navigate it, and how to make it give up what it takes from us. Members of the Federal Bureau of Investigation's Child Abduction Rapid Deployment Team do this. In today's episode of Dark Arenas, we're going inside the lives of agents who investigate the abduction of children and their attempts to bring them home, dead or alive. As I stared outside of the window of the security outpost at the FBI's Charlotte, North Carolina field office, I saw lines of water streaking next to one another on the glass. It had started pouring earlier that morning, and the bad weather wasn't forecasted to let up for the rest of the day. I watched several of the parallel lines of water form row by row on the thick bulletproof glass. They each had their separate starting points and paths. Some shot over and spread far away from the others, a few merged with larger drops, but in the end, the water was all going the same direction, down. 
Out of the corner of my eye, I saw movement, so I turned and watched an older man wearing an FBI badge rifle through my backpack on the table. It was a little bit awkward, but I just patiently sat there and waited in one of only two chairs in this small cramped building. He tried to make conversation with me about who I was there to interview, but I could tell that the chit-chat just didn't really come natural to him. He took my driver's license, went behind a glass wall, I saw him make a phone call, and then a few minutes later he returned and handed it back to me. It was official. I was verified and cleared to enter. By the time I passed through the metal detector and powered off my cell phone, which was required, the FBI's media contact arrived to escort me into the large office building, which was behind the security outpost that I was in. As we drove by, the main building definitely had that U.S. government building vibe. Towering tall, covered in black glass, and on one side it had a gaping mouth to an underground concrete parking deck. The media liaison led me through several winding hallways in this big FBI building, and every few minutes I saw her scan her keycard at some digital locks. We eventually ended up in a large conference room with FBI Special Agent Jim Granozio. The first thing I noticed is that Jim is tall, and he just kind of has this general look of a young father, which turns out he is. Jim is a retired cop turned FBI agent, and he's a team leader for the FBI's Child Abduction Rapid Deployment Team, also known as CARD. Yeah, so the CARD team uh, is a specialized team that the FBI created back in 2005, 2006. And it was in response to some, some activity that was done by our behavioral analysis unit. They realized at the time that responding to a missing child is really different than any other investigative technique that law enforcement does. What's, what's different about missing kids is this. So if, if local law enforcement is very good at investigating homicides, uh, assaults, domestic violence, larceny, very good at that. But what, what do you have when you have those investigations? You have usually a crime scene. For a homicide, you'll have a body, witnesses. When you have a missing child, we have no body. Most of the time, we don't have any witnesses. We have no evidence and no crime scene. All we have is that a child is not located where they're supposed to be. So that makes it very, very difficult. So you're almost starting from a different perspective. CARD team members help local law enforcement agencies work missing children's cases. As of 2020, CARD has roughly 70 agents and analysts in the United States specifically assigned to four different regional teams. Jim leads the East Coast CARD team. So if a local police department requests the FBI's assistance in a missing child case in his region, Jim has to be ready 24-7 to deploy to wherever that child has vanished from. We set up shop and we really build a structure for them around the chaos that is ensuing. You know, after 24 hours or 36 hours of one of these, you can really see media comes in. A lot of attention is focused on these things and a lot of people come in, a lot of volunteers, a lot of local law enforcement, and there's really, it's really chaotic. So we build that infrastructure. We set up the command post. We give them guidance on, based on statistics and analysis and our experience, here's where you need to put your limited resources to give us the best opportunity to find this child and bring them home. Jim says when a report of a missing or abducted kid comes into a smaller agency, it often has a shell-shocking effect on police departments or small sheriff's offices. 
Because these types of investigations aren't really normal for those agencies, there is a higher potential for information to get lost or for an investigation to get behind simply because staff in a town or city is overwhelmed. So if you go in a typical law enforcement, the average law enforcement agency is what, 30-something average officers, and I talk to them and I say, how many have ever worked a true stranger abduction in here? One, two, they don't have the experience. So when it comes down to it, they're dealing with a critical situation, an in-progress situation, and they don't have any experience doing it. Local and state agencies also don't really know, like the FBI does, the dire statistics they're up against from the moment a missing child report comes in. Time is of the critical essence. So when a child goes missing and is ultimately killed, 50% are dead within the first hour. 75 are dead within the first three hours, and 89% are dead within 24 hours. So when you think about that, you don't have much time to say, let's wait, or let's talk to some neighbors and figure out what happens, or it's 11 o'clock at night, let's meet again in the morning. Unfortunately, if you're wrong, if that child does not come back, we are statistically already behind the eight ball. There's also another hurdle that the FBI says law enforcement and really all investigators on a missing child case have to overcome. And that's rushing to judgment and quickly labeling a missing child or teenager as a runaway. It's a battle we fight at any teenager right, that goes missing. It's human nature, I think. It's not just the public, it's law enforcement. When they think about it, when they start talking to their friends and they say, oh, they've run away before, or they're having problems at home, they probably just ran away and they'll be back tomorrow. And so it's human nature to say, okay, you know, let's figure out what's going on in the family, but we'll give them time to come home. And unfortunately, like I said, we, we don't know that for sure. Every police department has responded to many, many missing kids. And most of the time, 90% of the time, those are what the National Center of Missing and Exploited Children say are runaways. The problem with that is, yes, 90% are runaways, and maybe many of those will come back within 24 hours. But the question I have for law enforcement, when we go in and we teach law enforcement, is how do you know? The answer, of course, is you don't. Jim says at the onset of a missing child investigation, there's usually so little information to go on that if you put a runaway label on a case too soon and don't investigate other clues or theories, you could squelch any life a case may have of being solved if, in fact, it isn't a runaway situation. That was the exact problem Jim came across when he was deployed to a report of a missing girl in 2014. Years ago, I worked a missing child by the name of Daniel Locklear here in North Carolina, and she was 15. And a lot of people thought she ran away. And actually, what kind of turned the tide on that public perception, including school and friends, was this. One of her friends was over at the house and was talking with the family. And what had happened was she, someone saw her walking out to her mailbox, and then she was all, all of a sudden gone. There was problems in the family, or, or allegations of problems in the family. And so they said, okay, she just, she just ran away. And the friend said this, she said her makeup's here. She would not walk out to the mailbox without makeup on, let alone worn away for a long period of time. There's no way this girl would do that. And I really think everyone kind of said, yeah, you're right. This is an indicator that something's not right. She wouldn't just walk away from something that she always did. So it's little things like that, that, that show, that kind of change perception and say, could be a runaway, but what if it's not? What was the outcome of Danielle's case? She was murdered. She was murdered by her boyfriend. 
Jamichael Malloy has been indicted on a first-degree murder charge in the 2014 death of 15-year-old Danielle Locklear. He lured her out of the apartment that night uh, with another boy, and uh, he murdered her, uh, put her body with a cinder block and put her in the river. And we found her in the river weeks later. In the last hours, human remains have been found. Is it missing girl Danielle Locklear? Tragic. Terrible. 15. Yeah, she's 15. So, based on experiences like the Locklear case, Jim is a firm believer that misdiagnosing any minor's disappearance as simply a runaway scenario can be a grave mistake. He understands, though, why some investigators and agencies are so quick to jump to this conclusion. He says because young people's use of technology and their cell phones is so much greater than it was even a decade ago, online activity can blur the line for police who are asking, was this child or teenager really taken? Or did they choose to run away to be with someone? Kids these days with their devices, you have a lot of grooming, right? If kids are meeting people online, they think it's a, a boy from the next town over. And they fall in love via text or instant message, kick, whatever it may be. And they're talking with them. And uh, it comes a time when they're going to meet. And that, that person says, I'm going to come pick you up. Leave your phone at home or do whatever with it. Well, yeah, that girl or boy walked out of their house on their own accord and technically they ran away. They packed their bag, they grabbed their toothbrush and they left. But where are they now and who are they with? So yes, they ran away. But what happens when we exploit that social media, we find out that 15-year-old boy that we, she thought she was talking to is actually a 55-year-old guy from 3,000 miles away. Um, where are they now and what are they doing? And is she really in agreement with everything that's going on? Probably not. There's no clear rule book on how or when to label a case a runaway, at least not within the first 24 hours of a child going missing. So instead, Jim and his team investigate a case just like the lines of raindrops that I saw trickling down the window outside of the security outpost. The agents put information side by side, knowing full well that some leads may shoot off on their own and go nowhere, some may merge with others, but all of the work, like the water, is going in the same direction, narrowing down a mystery by a process of elimination. Things are going to happen in that neighborhood. Either a bad guy lives in that neighborhood, there's witnesses in that neighborhood. If this child's been murdered, the child's going to be uh, put in a certain vicinity of that neighborhood. I need to get in that neighborhood and literally tear it apart. Do you want to set your child up for success? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. Now, my little guy is still young, but I can already tell that integrating fun ways to learn is going to be a game changer for him. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. There's one site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Kids can even access IXL on the go through the app or your phone or tablet. No more trying to figure out how to explain math equations or grammar rules yourself. IXL has built-in explanation videos. 
Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And Dark Arena's listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash arenas. Visit IXL.com slash arenas to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. When it comes to learning a new language, which is something that's a passion of mine because, hey, I'm in the field of communication. I can't help but love language. But what I really want most is a software or program that I can trust. I want to make sure that what I'm paying for, I'm actually going to be able to use in the real world. And that's why I love Rosetta Stone. It's the most trusted language learning program, and it's available on desktop or it can be used as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone has been trusted for 30 years with millions of users, and there are 25 languages offered. 25. I'm currently brushing up on my French because I learned it pretty well a couple of years ago, but I've gotten away from it. And one of my favorite things about the app is that true accent feature where you get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. And when it comes to a language like French, I obviously want to make sure I'm doing the accent right. So whether you're traveling abroad or trying to break down a communication barrier with a new friend, Rosetta Stone is something you should look into because you don't want to put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Dark Arena's listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com arenas. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com arenas. From the moment someone reports a child missing, investigators looking into that case have questions to ask everyone. I want to exploit and understand that household. I want to know what's going on in that household. Is there domestic violence? Are there children in there? Are they bringing neighbors in, people, transient people in and out of there? That all plays into the victimology of it. I'm going to, I want to fully understand that. There are red herrings everywhere. Of course, there's a creepy neighbor guy, always. There is the child uh, likes to go play over with this kid who may have hit him before. There's always parents, and who has a perfect family? I don't know, I don't. But when you look at the family and the dynamics of that family, you're going to see problems. You see problems in every family. Uh, But we need to kind of peel that back and say, okay, are these problems that would cause hurt to that child or push that child into running away? There's not an easy answer, but yeah, there's always red herrings. There's always a... There's neighbors that we need to investigate. There's, there's a suspicious vehicle that everybody see, that white van, right? The, the, the white creepy van that free candy on the side of it or whatever. And there's always people that are going to say that, right? There's call-in complaints saying we saw them at Walmart. There's call-in complaints um, from down the road saying we saw that kid uh, 300 miles away. And we can't discard those. Statistically, they're probably not reasonable, but we are going to follow up on those. What is the most significant element in a case as soon as you guys get there? It's different based on the facts and the age of the kid, the sex of the kid, the neighborhood that they're in, uh, the circumstances of how they went missing. It's different. But I need to get in there and interview every person, every adult, every child. I need to search every building, outhouse, body of water in that neighborhood. I need to empty every body of water in that neighborhood to make sure that that child is not there and then hopefully find some witnesses. 
Sometimes the best witnesses Jim probes for answers are the stationary silent ones. These days, many houses have cameras, so I need to exploit that. I need to get in there. Ring devices are wonderful, wonderful thing for us, and we want to exploit that. So, and video technology is often lost very, very quickly. Uh, if you look at, like for example, like an A plus mini mart, a local gas station, that stuff is, is kind of rolled over every 48 hours oftentimes. So we know we need to get there very, very quickly in order to pull that video. And uh, it's not as easy as just saying, calling the owners and, and say, grab that video for us. We literally, most of the time, have to send tech agents in to assist with them in actually extracting that data. So it takes a lot of resources. We're working with legal process to call Ring, to call video cameras for houses uh, that are housing that information and get that from them. When he's talking with actual people who saw or heard things, he has to be strategic while he's interviewing them. He tries to work around witnesses' assumptions and biases. A stranger abductions are very rare. And when someone says, thinks of a stranger abduction, they always say, oh, sex offender, you know, let's go after the sex offenders. Statistically, uh, it being a sex offender is about 8% stranger abduction. So while I'm going to certainly target sex offenders in that neighborhood, in that area, and I'm going to talk to them, it's not a priority. I'm going to do it. But statistically speaking, it's probably not one of them that it actually took the child. So our question to the neighbor across the street is, hey, did you see anything yesterday? We're looking for little whoever. Did you see anything yesterday? Did you see anything unusual yesterday? And law enforcement might normally go in there and do that. My question is, what did you see yesterday, period? Was there a UPS truck here? Was there an Amazon truck here? Great. Potential witnesses, potential suspects, but also video cameras on those things. Any images of the missing child or the comings and goings of the area that they disappeared from help Jim and card team members tremendously. Such was the case in 2018, when Jim was called again to North Carolina to help find a missing 13-year-old girl. Her name was Hanya Aguilar. 13-year-old girl, uh, she's at her home. She's getting ready to go to school at 5.30 in the morning. It's raining out, so um, the relatives let her move the car that's at the end of the driveway up to the front of the driveway so that uh, the parents can take her to school and her sister. Um, she gets in the car, she drives it up, she gets out of the car, and a stranger puts her back in the car and abducts her. Today, investigators searched parts of Lumberton, hoping to get closer to finding Anya Aguilar. The 13-year-old was kidnapped outside her home Monday morning. For us, it was difficult. Uh, there was a lot of people, a, hundreds of law enforcement officers on that for, for several, several days. Um, we had lots of video. We were tracking the bad guy. We were trying to find him very, very quickly. The FBI released new surveillance video of the stolen SUV taken within minutes after the alleged kidnapping. Investigators are now calling on the public to help in the manhunt. Uh, we found his video, or his car days later. He ran from us. We got him, but it was too late. Uh, and it was just devastating to know that this poor girl was getting ready to go to school on a normal day, happy-go-lucky, and, and literally it was just ripped from her by a, an offender that, you know, had sexual tendencies and had been arrested in the past. Uh, and unfortunately, we just didn't get there in time. Hanya Aguilar's killer, like Jim said, was caught and imprisoned, which is a good thing. Having that video from the community helped provide her family with some answers and closure as to what happened to Hanya, how she was taken, 
when and where her body ultimately ended up. Jim says even though the surveillance video in that case couldn't help the FBI save Hanya in time, it still served a great purpose for the investigation as a whole. He says the same goes for public engagement on social media with missing kid reports. They're essential to alerting people that a child has been taken and all eyes need to be open. Social media changed things, um, because not only am I now not relying on the local news to broadcast it, but literally families and victim families are almost immediately on Facebook and they're spreading that message to their friends. They are then posting it. Within 10 minutes, you have 5,000 people reposting that a child is missing and the law enforcement hasn't even arrived on scene yet. So I think that's really kind of changed things. But as we all know, social media can be a double-edged sword. In a world where anyone can write anything online and it's believed as truth, sometimes posts by concerned citizens in a missing child investigation can become hindrances to the FBI instead of help. People who are just spreading false information hurts us and ultimately takes resources away from the legitimate investigation and gives us a worse opportunity to find this child alive. That exact fear came true during the Hanya Aguilar investigation. We were very, very quickly into social media, very quickly into news, asking for help from the community because we had a vehicle that we knew. So we were putting that out very, very quickly, asking for help. But people literally made up things like they had seen her at certain areas and then started pushing that very heavy in social media. So if I'm a neighbor and I say, I saw her at a gas station, I'm, I'm convinced of it. And she asked me for $5 and it was two hours away from here. There's no doubt. Um, and then all of her friends liked that uh, social media post and then all of their friends and then the whole neighborhood saying she was seen here, she was seen here. Well, of course the FBI is going to follow up on that. But when ultimately when we went and talked to that girl, she made up that whole story. And um, think about the time it took us to find out who that was, find out where they live, send officers and agents to that person's house to figure out that wasn't real, and then get that word out to people saying, hey, this allegation is not legitimate. Please don't consider it. Please don't keep reposting it. Um, And then we can move on to the legitimate activity. So to be clear, the FBI wants people to keep sharing posts about missing kids. They want people to write in with tips and information. But please use common sense when it comes to what you post about online regarding a missing child. Don't hype up fear and spread misinformation. No one should be the person who bogs down a federal investigation into a missing child because they wanted to get attention. Another downside to social media engagement, according to Jim, is that social profiles and chat rooms are the precise tools many of these child abductors use to access and lure young kids and teens. We're back to that double-edged sword thing that I was talking about. I certainly think that phones and social media and computers are game changers. Um, It's kind of the window to the soul of the devil, if you will, when it comes to missing kids. Um, They are both good and bad. They're a great way to find people. But I also know that that's the open door into your house. People are worried about the boogeyman and someone breaking in. I'm going to lock my doors at night. But yet they give their child that telephone and the the child goes up to their room and is on that phone all night long. That literally is the open window into your house in order to get that child out. If I'm a bad guy, I don't need to break into your house. I'm going to groom your child. I'm going to lure that child. The child's going to come to me. 
Why would I break into your house? I don't need to do that. That's a sobering thought for sure. It makes me want to never let any kid I'll ever have have a phone or access to the internet. When you look at someone who's going to groom a child and then lure them out online, they're socially marginal, right? They don't have the ability to go up and interact with that child. They're not going to take them, but they can do that online. And they can spend the time grooming that child, where maybe that child's mom and dad don't pay attention to them and don't listen to them. Well, that individual will spend the time listening to them, talking to them, and say, your parents are this or your parents are that. Uh, all in an attempt to get them out of the house in order to have a relationship. And certainly, uh, these people probably are not in it for long-term relationships, right? They didn't just meet a 13-year-old girl online and think that they're going to be their life partner. It's mostly sexual um, gratification and determination that they're going to get out of this. And then when they realize what they've done, that's where the danger comes in for these kids, right? So the, the offender is so motivated to get their hands on these children. Once it happens, okay, I got my hands on these children, I've, I've done the act, whatever I need to do, oh my gosh, what do I do now? I have a child that I can't do, I can't bring home, because where am I gonna explain this? It's now a witness. If a child does make it out of that situation alive, more than likely, Jim says the psychological damage a perpetrator has inflicted on them via the online or in-person relationship is severe. The child just doesn't always know it. The grooming effect uh, really takes hold of these kids and even afterwards puts hold on them. Let me, I'll give you an example. I worked a missing girl. She was 12 years ago in New Jersey. And she was lured out of her house. Um, the bad guy paid for her to put on, get on a bus and drive about 200 miles down to him. We literally caught up with them as she was getting off the bus and we pulled him over. Uh, in his backpack, he had a knife, he had a little teddy bear, he had handcuffs. He had all the kind of uh, duct tape. Um, he was going to do bad things to this child. And so um, we recovered her. It was great. Nothing bad happened to her. Um, and we, that, actually, that gentleman actually wanted to go to trial. So we were preparing for trial, and I remember bringing her into the FBI office, and we were talking to her. She was going to testify. And she was a great witness, smart, and uh, was ready to go. And she goes, uh, Mr. Jim, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. She goes, um, uh, after the trial is done, am I, can I go home with my family? I said, absolutely, of course. She said, can I ask you another question? I said, sure. And she said, um, is, is he going to go to jail? I said, probably. She goes, all right, one last question. I said, sure. She said, um, when he's done with jail, can I still marry him? And so she really didn't understand. I mean, he was totally locked into her, and she was still ready to, she was still in love with this guy in his grasp and ready to wait for him to get out of jail. Um, at 12 years old. Uh, just a scary thought for parents. It's honestly heart-wrenching for me to think that a child has been so deceived and preyed upon that they don't even know the difference between real love and evil. To me, that's the epitome of disturbing, but probably worse than a stranger on the internet preying on and ultimately killing a child is someone within that child's own family being the one who takes them or orchestrates their demise. Someone who was supposed to take care of them. That is crippling to me. And I've covered cases that ended that way so many times in my career as a journalist. And Jim can say the same thing, sadly. 
In our interview, I asked him how the CARD team investigates familial abductions, and at what point do FBI agents clear family members, or do family members always stay on the FBI's radar? His answer will make anyone who hates confrontation squirm. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. This afternoon, authorities released the autopsy results for three-year-old Mariah Woods. A dive team recovered the toddler's body in a Pender County Creek in December. Her family reported her missing days earlier. In November 2017, FBI Special Agent Jim Granozio and his CARD team were dealt a heartbreaking defeat. The body of a missing toddler, Mariah Woods, was found lifeless in a North Carolina creek. She'd been wrapped in garbage bags and sunken in a sofa cushion that was filled with cement. Jim wasn't able to bring Mariah home alive, despite weeks of intense searching. When I got home from that, you know, you're just exhausted because generally you go into these and we work, generally the first 48 hours there's no sleep for our whole team and then we will work on shifts of three or four hours versus sleep. And so we were just exhausted, everybody was. And um, I got home, I walked in and I got some breakfast and it was in the morning and I remember I just had tears pouring down my face and my wife walks out, she's also an agent and I'm not really that emotional normally but I couldn't stop crying like a little, little kid. Mariah was the same age as Jim's own child. She had the same little car that my kid had. When you see things like that, it's, it's hurtful. You go back and you, and you hug your kids. Jim and law enforcement in North Carolina who were working tirelessly to find Mariah's killer were chasing hundreds of tips and leads. But something kept them coming back to the original 911 caller who had reported Mariah missing. Now tell me exactly what happened. <laughs> nowhere to be found. We would look everywhere in our house, in our yard, in our little girl. Our little girl, is she's missing? Okay, how old is she? She's three years old. Okay, so let me get some information from you, okay? Yes, ma'am. All right, so when was the last time you seen her? We went to bed last night. Everyone went to bed at the same time. And what time is that, sir? Maybe 8 o'clock, 8.30. She's in her pajamas. Okay. And what kind of PJs did you put her in, sir? What color? Do you uh, I mean, they, they were pink. Okay, and her name? her name? Her name is Mariah. Mariah? Woods. That male voice on the panicked 911 call was Mariah's mother's live-in boyfriend, 32-year-old Earl Kimry. 
Early on in the search for Mariah, Earl was someone who'd been closely involved in the investigation. I mean, after all, he had dialed 911 to report her missing. A few months after Mariah vanished, authorities in North Carolina ended up arresting and charging Earl with the three-year-old's murder. Law enforcement determined that Earl was watching Mariah the night she disappeared and her mother was at work. Authorities from day one knew that Mariah had muscular dystrophy and couldn't walk without specialized shoes. Those shoes were found in the home after her disappearance, and that led Jim and investigators to suspect that Mariah would never leave or walk away on her own free will without them. The police's suspicion about Earl really only mounted when he was later accused by other children in the family of sexually abusing Mariah before her death. This sad case of a domestic or often what's called familial abduction is one that haunts Jim forever. That was terrible, devastating. I remember being distraught from that for days afterwards because of what happened to her and what happened to that community. How common are cases where family members are the abductor or are the abductor and killer as well? Well, you got to look at the age, right? So the age of the child is key. Anyone from age three and under, who has access to that kid? They're generally not around strangers. You're automatically going to look at people who have access to that child. If the child just goes missing, okay, could they have walked away? Sure. Uh, could a stranger abducted them? Sure. Is it possible? Like I said, less than 1% of kids who go missing in this country every year get abducted by a stranger. Statistically, it's an anomaly. Are we going to consider it? Absolutely. But what statistics show us is that probability is that someone in that family has something to do with what's going on here. Mariah Wood's case specifically, and all of the factors involving her living conditions, her health, her mother's relationship, caused Jim to ask the necessary questions targeted at that family. Does mom have a new boyfriend who doesn't like the kid, thinks he's in the way? Is the child a bother to the family? Do they have special needs? Is there financial something going on in the family where that child is now a burden to them that they need to get rid of? We want to exploit all that, understand that, and then be able to say, okay, because of that, who had access to it? What is the fact showing us? Even in cases where investigators truly feel that a family member or parent has nothing to do with a child's disappearance, the FBI will still press them hard. According to Jim, it's better to do this sooner rather than later in an investigation because it's the best and most efficient way to rule someone out so that the investigation can move forward. Confrontation with families happens a lot, and Jim says he understands that parents don't like to be seen as automatic suspects, but it's just part of the job. When families feel like they're being looked at, what sort of hindrances can come into the investigation because of that, and that's just reality of life. Yeah, certainly it's traumatizing, right? Uh, if you have a child that goes missing, it's traumatizing. There's no doubt about it. You're in a state of shock. And because of that, oftentimes people will not necessarily lie to us, but maybe try to hide things. For example, if maybe their house is in disarray and there's a termite on the floor, well, they may think, wow, the FBI's in here, they're gonna call DSS. They'll think I killed the kid because there's a termite on the floor or there's no food in the fridge. So they might lie to us to protect that fact. 
Did they really do anything to the kid? Not necessarily, but they might be not truthful. So we have to kind of extract that and understand what they're trying to hide and what not. But you also have to look at the public perception of it. Neighbors are talking online. Why was mom inside and not outside with a kid? What was mom doing? Where is dad in that house? What's going on in that house? Why weren't they doing this or that? You know, the judgment and the pressure. Why aren't they talking to law enforcement? They got an attorney. What are they doing? What are they hiding? Why are they doing that? So the public perception, the bringing in of national media to really focus in and trying to understand why are they not talking, why are they talking, is detrimental to us. So lots of times we will bring them with us at one of our press conferences and say, here's mom. Um, we are team, family team, and we're trying to find the child together. She is on our side. We're working together. She's not doing anything but uh, uh, trying to help us find the child. So we want the public to know that. Working delicately with families, investing sleepless days and nights to the search for a child, and sometimes seeing the most horrific endings to these crimes, it takes a toll on Jim and all of the CARD team members. They each have a lasting effect on, on everybody who is involved. I call it a tattoo. So there's always a tattoo from one of these deployments. Some of them are beautiful. Tattoos are sometimes beautiful and awesome to look at. You want to show them off to other people. Other ones remind you of the pain that you went through and may look not good but they are there every day and you have to look at them and I call them my tattoos that I have. For you, what is the darkest part of this job? The darkest part um, is that the boogeyman exists for me and no matter what I try to do to kind of profile him, get the word out, try to prevent things from happening, that bad people exist and they do bad things to vulnerable people and in this case kids and I'm not sure as a society, we can stop it. I think we can understand it better. We can respond to it better. We can prepare for it better. But opportunities arise for people, and they do bad things. And so that's kind of a scary thought, a scary concept to comprehend and to accept. I'm a parent of a five and seven-year-old. I'm scared to death for them, but I'm not going to live my life overly protecting them. I still need to let them go out and experience the world. I'm cautious. I look over their shoulder. But I also realize that I can't just stop them. And so Boogeyman exists, but I still have to let them go out in that world and experience it. To help Jim cope with all of the darkness that he sees and investigates in the field, the FBI requires CARD team members visit mental health counselors and that they undergo annual mental health assessments. But even with those requirements in place, Jim says this job can't be a career. The work is detrimental to our mental health. I think there's a limited shelf life that we have in this team because of that. You can't do it forever. I don't know when my time won. I've been doing it for six years. I'm not sure if it will be the next time or if I can do it for the next five years, but you can't certainly do it forever. New crops of FBI agents join the card teams and some leave each year, but every one of them is dedicated to the same mission finding and bringing home children that are taken while racing against a never-ending ticking clock.
The FBI encourages all parents or guardians of minors to download the FBI Child ID app on your smartphone or device. It's a free app that includes tips on keeping children safe, as well as guidance on what to do in those first few critical hours after a child goes missing. You can upload photos of a child, identifying information, and you can even create a missing poster that you can easily send directly to authorities if your child disappears. And if you're worried about privacy, the FBI doesn't collect or store any of the photos or information that you upload to the app. You can download the FBI Child app today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. A link to more information about this app is on our website, darkarenas.com. This episode of Dark Arenas was written and produced by Delia D'Ambra, with writing assistance from executive producer Ashley Flowers. You can find pictures and all of the source material for this episode on our website, darkarenas.com. Dark Arenas is an Audio Chuck original show. So what do you think, Chuck? Do you approve? The living room is where you make some of life's most beautiful memories, but your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant high-performance furniture from Ashley Store is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley Store's high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, comfortable, and easy to clean for more mess and less stress. Shop the life-resistant high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley. For the love of home. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. (laughs) 